beloved Church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the Scriptures, we read them together, the fact of Jesus Christ's resurrection is revealed in a most beautiful way. We read about how on the first day of the week, early in the morning, some women came to the tomb where Jesus had been laid. And when they got there, even though they had talked about it, they, they found that this stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And then they went into the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They had expected to put some spices on the dead body of their Lord, but instead the women were frightened by two men who were there who stood there in, in dazzling apparel and shining clothes. So with their faces bowed to the ground, they heard an angel say to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has arisen. These women were the first witnesses to the fact of the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And together with many other witnesses that the Gospels tell us about, they confirm the truth of the declaration of the Apostles' Creed that we, we confess as our own, uh, as a truth that we believe. On the third day, he arose from the dead. In the months and the years after the, the Lord Jesus' resurrection, that fact of Jesus' resurrection became the starting point of all the apostolic preaching and instruction. You can see that if you read through the book of Acts, and when they summarized their preaching, they would say they, they preached the resurrection. And then God used this preaching to reveal to his church the benefits of Christ's resurrection. And it's those benefits that we focus on in our confession in Lord's Day 17. And as we teach our children, as we share our faith with non-Christian neighbors and friends, we don't just let them know that Christ has risen from the dead, but we also proclaim why this is a good thing for everyone who believes in him. In this gospel I preached to you this afternoon under the theme, Christ shares the benefits of his resurrection with believers. We'll see these benefits. We have peace with God. We have a new life. We have a glorious resurrection. So first then, peace with God. Peace with God means that there are no outstanding debts and that we are walking in love toward God and toward our neighbor according to the law. And since every sin that we commit increases our debt and our sinful nature makes it difficult to always carry out what our renewed hearts desire, we regularly confess to God that on our own strength we are unable to pay the debt. We are perpetual debtors. There's no peace with God while these debts remain outstanding. But then we cling to that gospel message that Jesus Christ came and he satisfied God's justice. He paid for our sins. He obeyed the law for us and in our place. And when he overcame death, he restored peace to everyone who believes in him because believers are united by our faith to Jesus Christ. So whatever Christ has done, whatever he has accomplished, 
we who believe in him have also accomplished. And so we confess that. We use the word overcome. We confess that Christ overcame death. We're showing that we believe there was a struggle. God had said that the wages of sin are death and that the, the soul that sins would die for their sin. That if you sin against one commandment, you sin against them all. That the, the picture in the Psalms is of the, the waters rising up even to our neck. No one could escape death if he or she was not perfect or did not have a perfect substitute to take their place. But there was no substitute for Jesus, the Son of God. As the substitute for the rest of mankind, he needed to be perfect. If Jesus had not been perfectly innocent, or if his payment had been incomplete, he would have had to pay for that sin with his own eternal death. He would have been consumed in the fire of God's resurrection. There would have been no resurrection, and we would have a dead Lord. His resurrection from the, death, from, from the dead proves that not only did he pay for our sins, but he also made it possible for us to share in his victory. And since God imputes Christ Jesus' payment to our account, the gospel is that he treats us as if we have paid for all our sin, if we, as if we have lived a perfectly righteous life. Like he gave us a ticket to an event that, that, that he has paid for. And since Christ has risen from the dead, we, his body, will be declared innocent together with him. We are tied to him by true faith. What happens to Christ is what happens to Christ's body. And Paul explains this very clearly in Romans 4, verse 25, when he says, Jesus our Lord was delivered up for our transgressions and he was raised for our justification. Christ Jesus was raised for our justification. He was raised we are justified. Since Christ is righteous, everyone who is united to him by true faith is also righteous, declared righteous in God's presence. Our faith is grounded in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just read what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 to 20. It's because of Christ's resurrection from the dead that peace with God for us is guaranteed. When we sing of Christ's resurrection, we are singing of the peace that we have with God in him. The first words that Jesus spoke to his disciples after his resurrection already show this consequence of his resurrection. And he says to his disciples, he says to his church, we read it in John 20, verse 19, peace be with you. The word peace has to do with our justification. It's the gospel in a nutshell. When Christ said, peace be with you, to his followers, he was saying that God is not angry with those who are united to Christ by faith. 
He is saying there is no longer any separation between God and his church. Christ has allowed all believers to share in the righteousness that he obtained by his death, visible in his resurrection, so that everyone who believes in him may be blessed with peace. So when your pastor, when he raises his hands and speaks the blessing, the salutation of our risen Savior Jesus Christ every Sunday, understand how much that peace that is given to you cost. Understand how truly you can trust in that as a blessing, a benefit of Christ's resurrection. And he gives us that peace so that we can have a new life. We're also raised to new life. In the catechism, there's three parts, and this is the, the second part. In John 20, verses 21 to 22 that we, we read together, Jesus said to them again, a second time, said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's a connection there between the peace that Christ obtained for us by his death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who gives us new life. There's a connection between justification and sanctification. Jesus, the light, destroyed the darkness of death and he destroyed the dominion of the devil in our daily lives. The, the ruler of this world was cast out. Peter says in the passage we read, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we confess that by Christ's power, we too are raised up to a new life. The imagery of being raised up to a new life makes us think of someone who's being rescued from a muddy swamp. Fallen people were dying in that slimy muck of their sins and misery. So our Lord Jesus entered the fallen, rebellious world and he died to give his people a way out. When Christ came out of that mire and as he rose from the dead, he took all who believe in him with him. All who are united to Jesus Christ by true faith are treated as pure and innocent as if they had never been in the muddy swamp and mire. We're given new hearts led by the Holy Spirit so that we desire to praise God with our obedience. Being raised by the power of Christ to a new life means that we have left the old life behind, like that slimy muck of sinful nature can no longer hold us in and, and, and make us all dirty and, and miserable, no longer hinders our service to God. Raised to a new life with Christ, we have left the realm of the dead because you can't be dead and alive at the same time. The living resurrected Christ overcame. He destroyed death. 
He didn't add death to his list of different ways for Christians to exist. Christianity is all or nothing. It's either or. It's not a both and commitment. That means if someone came looking for Christians around them in the world, they will hear the same message that the women heard when they entered Jesus' tomb. They'll hear those Christians, yeah, they are, they are not here in the greedy competition for having the nicest stuff. They are not here in this nightclub. They are not here among these drunken party goers. They are not here among those who make fun of the Christian faith. They are not here among the, the gossips and the liars and the selfish and the greedy. They are not here among the cowards. They are not here among those who embrace sin without following the spirit and the struggle against the desires of the sinful nature. They are not here because they have been raised to a new life, a new way of living, led by the spirit in the grace of God. They are not here because they did not love their lives on earth more than their Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Romans 6, verses 8 to 14 that we read. Some of those verses, verse 8 and 11 and 14, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin will have no dominion over you. Those who share in Christ's resurrection rejoice to see that their new life is radical. It's different at its very root. It's all-encompassing. We live for different reasons with a different worldview. It really is the difference between darkness and light. It's the difference between death and life. The Lord Jesus is risen from the dead. and By his power, you who believe in him are also raised up to new life. So we can pursue our heart's desires because Jesus Christ makes us seek to glorify God both now and forever. So we expect a glorious resurrection. We confess that Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our own glorious resurrection. We believe that whoever is hidden in Christ, who is joined to Christ by true faith, who is raised with Christ to live a new life already now, can be sure that one day they too will rise from the dead, just like Jesus Christ did. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 that Christ was raised from the dead, that he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What happens to the first fruits will happen to all those who are part of his harvest. What happens to the head happens also to the body. The Holy Spirit says in 1 Peter 1 verse 5 that believers are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time so that we might not doubt that we will live forever in our new life 
in Jesus Christ. So what will this be like? Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, that we have been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Paul assures us that although our natural bodies are sown in dishonor and weakness, they will be raised. And you may know what the, the verses say. They'll be raised in, in, in glory, in glory. They'll be raised powerful and spiritual. Christ's resurrection has ongoing consequences for every member of his church. We can expect a glorious resurrection on the last day. And at the same time, the Lord has given us new life already today. That, that eternal life that, that we, we look for, it starts today already. It appears, actually, as we look at the scriptures, that our relationship to God will change very little through our death. The living are with the Lord right now in body and soul. And the dead are with the Lord just in soul, while they wait for their bodies again. And so concludes Paul in 1 Thessalonians, whether we are awake or we are asleep, we live with him. We are called to glorify him as the unique people we are today, as much as we will after we die. We are just as forgiven today as we are forgiven after we die. He is with us today in this life, in the body, and he will be with us after we die when our bodies decay in the grave. And although there are sorrows and temptations in this life, God ordained this time on the earth as a time to grow in our understanding of the world through, through our work to increase the number of those who will eternally praise our Father in heaven through, through families and through mission. And to begin today that eternal song of praise right now in our own lives. We are experiencing the beginning of eternal life already today. God's plan doesn't start after we die. We are already valuable to the Lord in his eternal kingdom right now as, as citizens of an eternal kingdom. God's plan doesn't end after we die. The souls of heaven, or we read in Revelation 6, are longing for the return of Christ with as much eagerness as we are. Although Paul calls death gain because it is better to be with Christ Life after death is an incomplete existence until our Lord Jesus Christ returns. And so the prayer of the church, as we see all that we have today, the prayer of the church is not that we might die soon, but that Christ may come quickly and bring to fulfillment all that is promised. In Philippians 3, the Holy Spirit says that when Christ Jesus returns, then he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. We are overjoyed as we reflect on those words, overjoyed 
to see that it is possible for God's creatures to have a perfect body and a perfect soul. And we wait eagerly for this, this day, not because we cannot glorify God with the lives we have right now, but because we want to glorify him with body and soul and without any hindrance of sin or its consequences. And every Sunday in this beginning of eternal life, we celebrate Christ's resurrection in our worship. He has overcome death. He has given us peace with his Father in heaven. He has set us free from the dominion, the, the overpowering, irresistible reign of the evil one. We're, we're not under his dominion any longer. He has filled us with the Holy Spirit. He leads us in our new life through his word. And he has promised that when he returns, there will be a glorious resurrection and we will continue to worship God and to serve our neighbors without any single thing hindering our bodies, our minds, or our hearts. Jesus Christ has really and truly risen from the dead. That's the fact. And in his grace, he allows us to share in all these benefits of his victory. Right now, right today, may the li this living hope be central in every part of our lives. Let's think about his resurrection. We can think of his benefits every day as we send our kids out to school, as we head out to work. We could tell ourselves he's, he's not among the dead anymore. He has risen and I with him. And so we return to our homes with the encouraging words of 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 on our hearts. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Amen.